Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sheffield Digital Podcast. I'm Ian Broom and I'm joined as I always am by directors Mel Kanarek and Chris Diamond. We're also here today with Rohit Chakraborty from the University of Sheffield's Urban Flows Observatory, which is something that Chris has talked about on the show uh, a number of times before. Mm. Um, but before we speak to Rohit, hi Rohit. Hello. I should say that first, really. It's polite, isn't it? <laughs> um, we need to say thank you to Rebel Base Media because we are once again in their fantastic, dedicated podcasting studio at Sheffield Tech Box. Uh, you can come and use this studio yourself for some money and um, we recommend it. It's ace. They also do lots of other production help and run a podcast hosting service called Captivate.fm which is taking the world by storm. That was a good advert for us. That's a great yeah. advert. I think that this should give us extra brownie points for that. Um, so Rohit, thank you for joining us. Um, as we always do, we'd love to know a bit more about uh, you and your background, I guess, uh, right. but also how you came to be working at the, um, or working for, working on, not quite sure of the right terminology, but uh, the Urban Flows Observatory. Well, I started as a PhD researcher last year and my work on air pollution led me to work with the Urban Flows Observatory. Initially, well, I wasn't really part of it, but when I started working with them, I needed needed some sensors around the city, which we didn't have. So we started from zero sensors, zero monitoring across the city, and we did a big growth in a very small amount of time. And that's where Urban Flows came into play. They helped me, you know, uh, fund the sensors, deploy them and everything. So that's how I got associated with them. So what's your PhD research in? Mm, right. <laughs> Is that a very big question? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I have to put it in a very simple ma- manner. What I'm doing is I'm looking at how air quality can be measured in a very efficient manner. Uh-huh. So, you know, we could have very expensive sensors, which can cost from 80,000 to 100,000 pounds. But I'm looking at, can we have cheaper sensors but as we know the cheaper sensors they are cheap because they are not as accurate as the expensive ones so i'm looking at how we can use them to build a very high resolutional and accurate uh, air pollution data set across the city and can we use that to you know help policymakers and other decision making yeah. yeah. Organizations to make decisions. Yeah. With. Yeah. Decision makers to, you know, make changes in the policy, yeah. really. Yeah. I think that that's really cool because air pollution is such a hot topic now, very much on people's minds, uh, you know, in, including the whole climate agenda. And yet the. The technology, if it's unaffordable, if it's impossible to roll it out because it's just really expensive, it stops people from getting involved in finding solutions for their neighbourhood. Yeah, I'm definitely like when I joined, I didn't really find anything going on on air quality much. Like, mm. like, like I said, there wasn't any sensors whatsoever, and uh, I my approach was to involve the citizens. So, and that's really gained some traction because when I started. You know, I started building some small sensors on my own with some uh, with Graham Turnbull, one of the he's the founder of Clean Ash. I feel that's a Facebook group he started, and we like started building small sensors in a pub, like from ten to twenty. Now we have around hundred sensors in the Sheffield, which is like the highest number of sensors in the entire UK. So we have some data right now, and we can do some modeling based on it, and we can predict what their quality could be in some place, even where we don't have a sensor. 
And I think that's a big achievement we have done in in, in years time. Yeah, mm-hmm. that really is. And you're saying that that compared with other cities yeah. in the UK, we're leading the way on that one. As uh, yeah, as a low cost census, we have the highest number of it, even higher than London. That's yeah. great. It's really noticeable when you look at the map, the Luftdarten yeah. map. You can see yeah. the concentration in Sheffield, and that's just the Luftdarten map. And we have even the different kinds of other sensors yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, we do. So things network sensors. And things network, some mid-cost AQ mesh sensors, and there are some sensors we developed with Pimoroni, mm-hmm. local company. Yeah. And even th- that's like 50 more of them. So it's around more than 200 sensors yeah, so actually. This, this is really interesting that, that a, a big um, academic project like the Urban Flows Observatory can provide the calibration model for all of that so yeah. that you can get you know, really useful data out of it that, that, yeah that's what we were working like you know merging these sensor data with other kinds of data and you know and collaborating with the cities i think this is one of the biggest uh, approach we ha- i have seen in my life like uh, working with the citizens mm, and the academy mm. academia together yeah how do you um, do that how, how do you work with citizens and do you just mean the citizens of sheffield or or just it's people in general we started with sheffield but right now i have been working with nottingham leeds york chesterfield it's like different areas nearby sheffield as well they have heard about us they have like sheffield has become the model city now to study air quality really and that's what we aimed as well to, sh- to make Sheffield that model and people can come here, look at the data and try to replicate the same things in their city. Yeah. And, and how, how do you sort of physically work with citizens? How do you get them involved in the, in the project? Um, well, we had some help from some people in the community, like they helped to spread the message in Facebook groups, Twitter, and even the schools came in came in and they published uh, about a study in their weekly newsletters. People came to know about us. They sent me emails. I've been flooded with emails on messages on Facebook and stuff. So it hasn't been that tough, really. Like people have been cooperating with us very well. And I think it's about the engagement method, isn't it? I mean, the fact that Graham started it on Facebook... Yeah, um, because it was about school safety. I think originally it wasn't even about air quality. Yeah, Graham was very much interested on in school street and how yeah. you could make the school streets very safe. And that's how we met at a cafe randomly in last year October. And we had three or four m- more guys: a photographer called Jeremy Abrams, uh, another guy James Hayden, who was a lecturer at University of Lincoln. And we just had the similar idea that uh, we should make the streets safer. But I was working on air quality and said, okay, so air quality is also one of the criteria and children are most exposed to it. So we should do something for them. And everyone was about, uh, on board with this. And that's how it started, really. Yeah. Um, we should say what the urban, or we should ask you what the urban, <laughs> what the urban flows uh, observatory is. I'm not quite sure we said that at the start. We were getting there, I think, but then we kind of got a bit yeah. uh, how sidetracked. How describe it? Well, as I see it, urban flows observatory to me is kind of a lab. But when I say lab, it's not just a room. We treat the entire city as a lab. So imagine a bucket of water and, you know, you pour water into it, you take out water into it, you add something on the water. So that's how the bucket here represents the city, basically, and the water is the resources. So how are you using the resources, really? So 
the aim is to be you know uh, to be more sustainable in our daily life so how you use the resources how you are uh, using the energy was the air pollution air quality water quality um, even the heat temperature uh, anything re- related to urban uh, metabolism flows so that's what we are looking at there are different aspects to it air quality being just one of them there are like thermal cameras and em- and even lidars on a expensive van which goes around the city you know uh, to map the heat signature so that could you know tell us how much uh, resources could be used in a building and what's the waste going on there so there's different things going on and air quality being one of them as as well like i said so that's what urban flows is um, we have some money and we have been uh, we have followed a very data driven approach if i say and we have putting sensors all around the city for different purposes and we are creating this evidence you know to drive policy making and other changes mm. required it's a it's a joint project isn't it with um Newcastle and Bristol i think yeah it right? is yes yes um so. but essentially it's um yeah you're 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 instrumenting the city so that um citizens and policy makers and academics can understand how the city uses energy and how it uh you know how how it um consumes resources and how it expresses that oh, exactly you're yeah. right yeah um so i think it's quite groundbreaking really yeah i think except singapore no one has these kind of very detailed data on how a city works so we are doing really well and yeah we have been collaborating with uh, newcastle and bristol yeah. and we have similar observatory there as well so we are working together and what, trying to model the entire city one of the other things that it's done is because a lot of the money is for equipment and sensors it's been able to run competitions and help other other projects including citizen projects with kit so it's been able to provide equipment uh, sensors and connectivity to projects that otherwise wouldn't have been able to afford them or you know or you know got people interested in it because there's this opportunity to come up with an idea and then get the kit funded through the urban flows observatory yeah there's loads of data and we have to figure out Yeah. what can we do with the data yeah, so, that was going to be my question <laughs> <laughs> so yes yeah, so that's that's the thing like when you have so much of data generated what's the next thing you can do if you, i don't know if you have heard about the hackathon is that yes, yes yeah, yeah in november so there would be a hackathon where urban flows is inviting hackers individuals a group whatever and we would be giving them access to all these data they are open access anyway but the data would be given to them and we would see what they can do so anything out of it some cool visualization could could be a software could be some prediction modeling anything there's loads of potentials and opportunities to you know work with these data there are air pollution data weather data uh, humidity data uh, heat and lidar data lots of things you could do with it and that's where the hackathon uh, we are we are really waiting for it and see if someone could be you know come with some very innovative solution or yeah. does, does any of us know what data is or is this going to be a major fail on my part for not researching it what date is the hackathon what date what uh, date oh, it's uh, in november uh, yeah 20, 20, 23rd 20, <laughs> 22nd 23rd yeah. thanks chris chris well wins chris wins <laughs> yes um yeah because you were saying earlier rohit about uh 
providing information for policymakers. And I think there's a gap, isn't there, from having collected a huge amount of data and being able to interpret that at an academic level and then making it into something that's meaningful to a policymaker and that will influence a policymaker. And do you, do you hope that people coming to the hackathon will be looking at that or is that something that the observatory will be doing is kind of making that data digestible to um, people who perhaps aren't first and foremost data scientists? I think absolutely the data could, you know, the hack the, in the hackathon could lead to uh, some very uh, an- good visualizations or analysis of the data, which could, you know, potentially lead to a change in policy. Mm. So, uh, like for example, let's say air quality data. Um, well, because I'm from air quality, so. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, we have transport data, air quality data, and if we look at it we could see how the speed of the cars, um, they they are correlated with the level of pollution. So if we can present that data and say, okay, in front of the schools, if the cars are allowed to run uh, at this specific speed, there would be lesser air pollution. And since we have the data to back this claim, we could provide it to the city council and say, can we have these restrictions put up? So uh-huh. that's just a small example, but there could be several things that can be done with the data we have. Yeah, I see. So um, I've been at meetings fairly recently where there's been a lot of conversation about the uh, poor air quality at Sheffield Station because of the fact that the line isn't electrified. So we've got diesel trains running. And part of it has been how do we convince the policymakers down in London to push through our electrification, what sort of things could we do? So is is there, are there any sensors down at the station? Is there a way to expand the observatory there? We do have a sensor uh, just outside the taxi rank. Oh, right. And it measures NO2 and particulates. So yes, we could probably provide that data and say, say this, that level of pollute, I think it's the eight most polluted places in UK. Yes. And... We could probably possibly, you know, just uh, show them the evidence and say this is because of the diesel, oh, the very old <laughs> diesel engines running for decades there, and that needs to be replaced. Yeah. And and I know, hope for the best, and they <laughs> actually make the changes. People have known about it for for some time, but it just didn't happen yet. Surprisingly, yeah. has uh, the uh, work that you've done at the observatory changed any policy so far? There are a few, yes. Um, I think the clean air zone that has been announced and it would come into place very soon. One And secondly, uh, the council has recently announced uh, something called Living Street, Play Street, School Street, Street for Everybody. So what it really is, is you know restricting the traffic, the flow of traffic at specific times near the school. So you can't really park or drive the cars in front of the school gate at specific times, like in the school run, drop off and pick up time. So things like that. So those are the two most important changes we have seen recently. No, uh, no idle engines. That's the sign that's just going up outside uh, yeah. our, my kid's school. Yeah, I've, I've seen that as well, which I find interesting. It seems like the very least. <laughs> because if you've, got a, if you've got a car with stop-start... That's great because you're doing it anyway. If you don't, 
and you're on some of those roads where you're inching forward three cars, stopping for a few seconds, inching forward another three cars, to stop, turn off your engine and restart your engine every time is just feels like a very, very big behaviour change. Impractical. In, yeah, yeah. But but what it has done, because my route home, I confess, I drive, I live out in the Peak District, public transport sucks. Um, I see these signs on my route home and it does make me think about how I'm driving, even if I don't turn my engine off every single time that I stop for a few seconds. So even I guess even that kind of nudge starts to have an impact on behaviour. So it's not all bad. I think a lot of it adds up as well. I mean, one of the other big causes is the fact that a lot of the bus companies and taxi companies, you know, they kind of, they put a lot of their, their um, vehicles kind of out to pasture up here. So, yeah. you know, we tend to get the older buses and the older taxis that have already you know, served their time in London and other places. Mm. So that's specifically Sheffield? Yeah, well, it's specifically to just the north. north. In the yeah. north, the yeah. north. Because it's grim up here. Yes. Oh, we love a good bit of pollution. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then so, the, the, yeah. the clean air zone is yes, specifically is, targeting commercial yeah, vehicles and buses right. and taxis. It and is. I think there'll It'll be... be like a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, and there will be help for... Um, people to change their vehicles. Yeah, so it, it doesn't affect um, private vehicles no, at all. No. You know, and I think actually talking to a few people when the consultation was going on, they didn't realise this. Mm. Um, even a lot of the taxi drivers I spoke to about it didn't realise that it affected them, but not private vehicles. Some of them were under the impression that it would never happen because nobody, you know, nobody would give up their car. Ah. And then I said, well, it doesn't affect them. Uh, so, Interesting. So, yeah. Um, but but also I think a lot of this is to do, you know, there's a lot of argument over this in the clean air zone, but I think um, people also don't realise how much the population of the centre of Sheffield has increased. So I think 15 years ago there was about 5,000 residents of the city centre and now it's creeping up over 30,000. You know, this is a big difference. You know, there's a lot of students living in the city centre now. There's a lot of more mixed use um, developments going up, a lot of apartments, young professionals, families, a school starting to be built in the city centre. It's, you know, the uh, the way our city centres work is, is transforming and this is part of that. And um, it's not viable to expose, you know, families to that level of pollution day in, day out. We've, we've talked about um, all the data that's been collected and we've talked about the hackathon, but are there other ways that people in the tech community can engage with the observatory? And work alongside you or come to you with ideas that kind of thing we are still looking uh, i think we still have a pot of money to you know looking for ideas how we can spend that kind of money and we are open to you know spend it on equipment some ideas on how it can be used in a better way that kind of money because if you don't use it it goes back to the government mm-hmm. So you've got until the end of next March to spend it I understand yeah i think it has to be like allocated <laughs> by this year yeah Yes. So, oh, yes. Right. So, so I know. any idea from anyone from the community is very welcome. Yeah. Do you have people come forward just because it's a, a project that they're particularly passionate about? It's the kind of thing that, you know, people, I'm not suggesting people just come and do everything for free, but like it is the sort of thing people might get involved with, involved with just out of goodwill, just wanting to be part of it, wanting to learn, wanting to uh, be, uh, you know, contribute to solving these problems. Um, 
if anyone wants to just come along and say, you know, I'm an analyst or a developer and I can help you do this, is that something that you would welcome? Yeah, definitely. Like someone could come and help us on the software side, some, you know, on the measuring and could come up with some easier way. Could someone could build an app for us, you know, so, so can everyone can easily see their data on a cell phone, you know, basically. And there has been some very good engagements from different communities in the Green Barrier Project at Hunter's Bar School. So there have been a few people who have uh, voluntarily helped, you know, planting and uh, planting and other stuff. I'm not from that project really directly, but I've heard of it. Like, you know, Mm. they have been really helpful in that. So there have been some good engagement and there are still ample scopes for people to be engaged further down. Yeah, and people can get involved with Clean Air for Sheffield as well. Clean Air for Sheffield, build their yeah, own sensors it's and growing and we have more than 500 members right now and yeah. still growing. And definitely if someone wants to, you know, monitor their air quality outside their home or they want some sensors in their school, somewhere in the locality, hospital, anywhere, we could help them. We can teach them how to build a sensor. We can provide them that the kit for free. And we would really be happy if someone comes along and say, hey, we want a sensor. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, there's the Things Network as well. And the Things Network is always looking for people to host gateways. So anyone with a building or a, a high roof in the city um, yeah. can get the gateway basically funded by the Urban Flows Observatory if they can provide power and, and backhaul, so connection to the yeah, internet. It, it requires very less power. It doesn't even no. require internet. That's the... No, you could run it over 4G network, yeah. if you want to, yeah. But, so... Yes, yeah, just yeah, space. Just, just somewhere to put an antenna. Yeah. Just, yeah. And if someone hosts the gateway, then many other people are, you know, gets the scope to you know, just connect to that gateway and they won't even require any kind of internet. So no. that's that's the things network, basically. So it yeah. works on low power uh, yeah, connectivity and it's really good. Like, we can solve a lot of problems we faced because of not, uh, because in, especially in schools, we don't have Wi-Fi at some places or mm-hmm. there are like firewalls and stuff. So because of things network, that could be easily solved and we can have more devices anywhere and we don't have to bother about having internet if some people, you know, volunteers to have the gateways installed. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something like 17 or 18 gateways currently across Sheffield and a bit wider. Um, so there's, there's a fair amount of coverage already, but every new gateway that goes up provides a little bit more yeah. connectivity and a more more coverage. Yeah. Um, and so also, um, you're bringing all of these data streams together um, are you working on a unified platform and APIs yes. for all of this? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we have a portal. So uh, one of our software en- engineers, Patricio, uh, he's developing the portal for us. So what it essentially is doing is basically combining every kind of data we have from all the sensors, from the Luftwaffe network, from the medium, medium cost sensors we have, the things network, everything all the city council sensors, the DEFRA sensors, and putting everything together on a single portal, on a website, on the map, and it's all open, and it's there right now, working, functioning, and anyone can access the data, download the data, play with it, and I think it's a very good way to just understand what's Mm -hmm. going on in the city. That's available now? It's available right now, yes. It's not fully functioning, but there are sensors live, and it's the the link is live, it's working. Where do people find that? 
Yeah, the link is a Google search Urban Flows Observatory. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you if you Google it, it would find. But I think the it sh- it would be on the on our website very. Soon. It's not there right now, but it would be on the Urban Flows website very soon. Great. Mm. It's going to be in place for the hackathon, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what we are waiting for. Yeah. And um, we'll include links to uh, as much of the stuff that we've talked about as possible in the show notes to the episode, which mm-hmm. will be on the Chevrolet Digital website too, to go along with this uh, with this show. I, well, I just one last question. It might it might be a silly question. Does the geography of Sheffield make it unique in any way? The hills and all that kind of thing. Well, uh, we have seen. I don't know if it's the geography, but we have seen less participation from the northern side. It's less geography or could be more the economy. I don't know. Uh, so more like a demographics type yeah. of issue. We have like more participation, more sensors, more data coming from south, southwest compared yeah. to the northern side. And I think the pollution is even worse in the north. So we would love people, you know, from the northern part of Sheffield to be more engaged and more involved in this. I think that's a really important point, isn't it? Because we see that divide all the time. Yes, yeah. that is the divide. Yeah, needs to change. Okay, well, uh, that's it. Thanks, uh, Rohit, for joining us. That was really, really interesting. And hopefully there'll be lots of people listening and thinking, that sounds ace and I would like to get involved immediately and you'll have 100 people at the uh, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the hack event and it'll be, uh, it'll be great. So, um, yeah, thank you for joining us. That was great. Yeah, thanks thank a lot. Nice to you. Thank you.